Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Let's have all the, oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, Brady PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Pod Save the Queen! Hello and welcome back to Pod Save the Queen. I'm your host, Anne Gripper, and it feels very much like, you know, royal life is happening. All of the great stuff is happening, and I am joined to talk about it by Daily Mirror Royal Editor Russell Myers, fresh from the James Bond premiere. I mean, I say fresh, Russell, are you fresh? Well, it took a little bit of time to to dry out because it was raining and it was tipping down in London. So you know, I I I was bra- I bravely weathered the elements. And well, uh, I never did get my uh, my invitation to join you on the red carpet. Oh, it's a very closed book, I'm afraid. You know, I, I barely got in myself. Well, I mean, the state of you, we can we can. Did you did you did you go for full dinner? Dinner suit. Do you know what? Embarrassingly, I didn't because I had meetings in London all day and I had I was wearing a suit. I was wearing a dark suit with a dark tie. So I might have sort of sneaked in the back, but I almost didn't realise that it was full black. Well, I didn't realise it was full. Come on, Russell. I know. I know. I I mean, you know, I don't really get invited to these sorts of parties. So I didn't really understand the full (laughs) full idea of what it was. And then when I turned up, I was like, Oh yeah, it's at the Royal Albert Hall and everybody is wearing a tux and literally the, all the women look unbelievable. They've all made an effort and there's just me <laughs> sweating profusely after running from the tube. To well, surely it's, it's an excuse to wear your dinner suit all day and you're turning up to meetings saying, I'm sorry, I'm dressed like this. I'm going I to know, Bond yeah. Premier. I know, could you imagine? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Name yeah, yeah. drop it exactly. all day. Oh well. Um, a missed opportunity. I- Although I think wearing a dark suit may have been a better option than wearing the, I, the slightly questionable red slash pink no. velvet number that Daniel Craig was wearing. Okay, so I, I'm not a this, fan. Nit, well, I am a fan and I saw it and it was absolutely spectacular. And my brother is getting married this weekend and we are wearing, we've had custom made uh, dinner suits. So potentially I didn't want to wear it on the, or, or, you know, to, to the Bond premiere. Anyway, I said to my brother, I was like, oh my God, we should have gone for these wild colours. Can we can we just d- d- debate what colour we think it is? So it, it sounds like if you think it looked good in person, maybe it's just one of those things that doesn't photograph well, which if it's that sort of velvety finish, velvet, maybe, yeah, it was velvet. maybe why? Because I don't think it does always, um, it does always work. But I think part of the problem as well is like, it's a red jacket on a red carpet and the colour clash. It's, not it's just it's not it's pink. Cerise. Cerise. <laughs> I mean, where's Amber Grafen when you need it? I mean, uh, I can draw. Russell in his colours. Sarah later. Uh, this, I am confident. I've looked it up. I've done my research. Cerise. It's Cerise. It was so. Somebody else was saying soft plum, but I don't even think that's colour. Cerise. I'm going with Cerise. Okay, well, we're going to do a bit more of the bomb premiere in a minute. But we've also got tennis. A bit of anyone for tennis to look forward to a bit later. A bit of um, a bit more earth shot. 
the uh, goings on in America, Meghan and Harry having their big adventure, which we will talk about plenty as well, and um, the latest on Prince Andrew, which Russell continues to follow very closely, of course. Um, so, James Bond premiere, glitz, glamour, red carpet, and Russell Myers. Um, <laughs> a, f- a footnote in history, if ever there was. Footnote in history, and uh, plenty of royalty, film royalty and actual royalty. We had Kate there, we had William there, Charles and Camilla. It was a nice sort of, I don't know, double date night for them almost, and looking, I mean, whereas with Daniel Craig, I'm a bit like, I'm not sure about this. Kate's look, spectacular gold jenny packham like it was like a sort of starburst somehow all of the sequins and there was a cape and she had an updo and it which was reminded me of kate beckinsale quite a lot somehow the way yes the way her i'll hair give you was. that give you thank that. you and like big bling earrings and oh yes all of the grammar is just like this is what has been missing from our lives over the last 20 months of confined living no, you're totally right. And, um, you know, my fashion knowledge doesn't knows no bounds, of course. <laughs> but I did absolutely think this was spectacular. I mean, I've seen the photos. It was, it, it, the photos do do it justice, but it was absolutely spectacular for a big, big event like this. These events that we have been missing so much. I mean, it's got such a lot of traction online. People are absolutely devouring the photographs. And, um, and seeing it up close, it, she looked absolutely spectacular. Shout out to Wills with his velvet. DJ, I mean, he's not afraid of doing a colourful. He did. He wore a green DJ a while back, didn't he? I seem to. He recall. did, Andy. I love that. I love these velvet. I wish I'd gotten myself a pair of velvet sort of slipper shoes. Velvet's Maybe. tricky in the rain, though. I'm not sure. I mean. Oh, he's not standing in rain too much, is he? he got no. driven up the red carpet in a fleet of Range Rovers, and he had to, to to walk a few yards. But he looked absolutely spectacular. But shout out to Camilla as well because she was wearing a Bruce Oldfield dress, a very nice um, sparkly number. Floaty, um, floaty and glamorous. It was called a blue corseted chiffon dress. <laughs> and I've got all the facts. It's like a here. sky sky blue. It's very very lovely. And it's kind of floaty and very different flavour to to Kate's and and Kate's dress well, I would imagine Camilla's did as well it was kind of a rhinestone it was a bit more you know slightly strictly calm dancing feel um, Kate's dress Jenny Packham which I, um, I was interested because um, some of the Twitter accounts that like to predict what Kate will wear for, for different events and it is always just fun to see the things that she might wear and they were um, pitching McQueen which she has worn to some stuff but like I always think Jenny Packham's kind of her go-to go-to designer for these kinds of events but can I ask Russell did it shimmer and did it sparkle in the in the light of real life? How, like, did it how... ever? Yes, it did. I mean, I, like I'm, I'm just looking through some of the photographs now for that I took last night, and they're obviously not as good as the professional ones, but it was pre- it was just pretty spectacular. I mean, we were just we weren't given any sort of details of it before she arrived. Just told it was going to be a Jenny Packing dress. Um, I was sworn to secrecy on, um, but when she, when she when she arrived, I mean, it was just an absolute showstopper, wasn't it? I think that she did, she did steal the show, and that's pretty. That's no mean feat being at the Royal Albert Hall with uh, you know all the bells and whistles. We had all the um, service men and women lining the red carpet. We had obviously uh, Daniel Craig in his last outing as James Bond with his cerise number and <laughs> and then uh, yeah I, th- I thought it was um it was a it was a dress fitting for the occasion 
And I think there's always something as well with Bond about gold. So, you know, you've got Goldfinger and the man with the golden gun and then the famous... Um, golden you know, Eye. Golden Eye. And then there's the Bond... I think twice there's been the Bond girl. Oh, no, there was the Bond girl who was um, killed by being sort of covered all over in gold in one of the early ones. And then I think there's a, there's a tribute to that later on in one of the late, latter movies that was more like sort of covered in well, oil just, instead. Yeah, that, just shout out to the headline writers. I mean, I think that the Mirrors lot got, got this one right because we had Dan with the golden one. I like that. Oh. Uh, the male had the mom with the golden gown. I thought that was pretty, pretty rubbish, to be honest. Um, on their Majesty's Secret Service, Bit, bit plain and golden eyeness. Oh, I like golden eyeness. Yeah, not I mean, bad. I like, not bad. I like the mirrors one as well. Very good. Yeah. Um, but it's not the only spectacular outfit that Kate has worn this week. And I would say that the other one that she wore was probably a little more surprising. So when she turned up at the National Tennis Center to um, meet the US, the various US Open champions, including, you know, Pod Save the Queen favourite, Emma Raducanu. Um, she was wearing like a tiny tennis kit, which is just, you know, obviously it's a pro very appropriate for playing tennis, but you just don't expect to see the Duchess of Cambridge with her legs all out like that. You don't. And I think that's not really the only surprise. I think people were very surprised about how actually how good she is at tennis. And Emma, Emma Raducanu, our hero from uh, the, the US Open, said that she had a pretty mean forehand. And on the evidence of what I've seen, she was she was playing a playing a pretty good game, which is it's probably just as well when you're the uh, patron of the Lawn Tennis Association, isn't it? That you're actually fairly good at the uh, at the sport you play. But listen, um, again, not putting a foot wrong at the moment, are they? It's um, it's been a very busy period and then they're criticised for not doing anything throughout the summer but that's pretty part of the course isn't it we know that they have the time off with the kids but you can't criticise them for not throwing themselves back into work it's been it's been very very busy indeed well I think you know if you if you're going to be the Duchess of Cambridge the future queen and uh, get to live your best life doing all your favourite things then I think do you want to play tennis with the US Open champion? Yes. Yes, please. Yes, I would like to do that. I will set some time aside in my diary and I will go I will go have some fun on a tennis court. Um so there was the so there's Emma Raducanu, there was also um the the player who had won both the mixed doubles and the men's doubles, which is quite a feat, and the um wheelchair tennis pairing of Gordon Reed and Alfie Hewitt who I think Kate has probably met a few times because they've been so successful over the years and it sounded like they were having a pretty um comp pretty competitive game and things going on there you know Kate takes takes her sport very seriously yeah well well again I think there's something that you can actively see her enjoying and I, and I, I she's you know very very sporty from her from her childhood and I think that whenever she's been with the Olympians or at a school taking part in running races then um, she just throws herself into it and it's and it's these kind types of engagements where I think she's she's very good you're not only really really good with the, the kids and stuff whenever you see her at schools searching in the mud for mini beasts and whatnot I, I actually really like to see her doing doing that in activity I remember I was in um in Belfast couple of years ago and her and uh, William were were playing football and they were you know with, with a load of kids and they'd actually they're actually look like they're having a lot of fun so more more of that less round tables because round tables although they can be quite um 
good to get the message across. They can be awfully dull. Some of them. <laughs> so, so I, I, I'm, I'm all for I'm all for getting out there, a bit of sport, and getting the uh, getting moving. And I forgot to ask you an important question. Did you actually get to see the film last night? No, James I Bond? did not because I had I was otherwise engaged. I'm a man of mystery. I had I had other other uh, appointments to go and see. That's my that's what I'm saying anyway. Um, I just wasn't allowed in. Your <laughs> name's not down. You're not coming in. And, Pretty uh, much. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And with apologies to Joe Salisbury, whose whose name did not spring immediately to my mind, who is the um, the double doubles champion from the U.S. Open. So um, so yeah. What what do you reckon? Do you reckon we can have a Radicanu Cambridge doubles wild card? You not know, this lady. No, not on the pod. <laughs> at Wimbledon next year, ladies doubles. <laughs> Well, you, you never know. Get Kate in the say, main draw. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. But no, it's good. Um, it's, you know, it's good that she's got a sport that she enjoys and um, takes on. So talk about kind of doing normal, normal things, getting involved. Um, so there's a picture that was published in the Sun newspaper at the weekend of the Cambridges out for a pub lunch in Norfolk, which is unusual. I mean, I would imagine it's, it's not unusual that they have a pub lunch, but no. it is unusual that we see a picture of it. I mean, listen, I don't think we would have printed this. The fact that we didn't print it and the fact that it's not on that uh, that particular news organisation's website, one may wonder whether there was um, involvement from the palaces or even their legal representatives. I just thought it was a little bit intrusive. It was sort of like a pat pick. And we, you know, we've there's an agreement we don't do that, right? There's a... So there's William, William and Kate out with the kids yeah. in a pub beer and garden. Having a, and he's having a burger. I mean, yeah, it's just, what was the story? Family so, has meal together. I didn't, I just thought it was a bit, a bit tacky. So what are the kind of rules of engagement or so the guidelines of engagement? Like how, no, how, in long, terms of how long, you see it? They're long held. I think that, you know, that's time off, isn't it? They're, they're not a, a particular, uh, the one thing I don't think from, remembering that I don't think you could see any of the kids faces because it was facing behind but um the they, they just seemed to be taken without their knowledge they were having a nice pub lunch in in their local area in Norfolk and so therefore my view that is that should be off limits it's not like they're up to something you know they're just having a nice nice pub lunch and I think the terms of engagement are generally that they're when they're off they're off they're not at work there's no um, merit to that sort of story and so um I would I would like to think my own organization my own news organization would have uh, would have stayed away from that kind of um publicity so yeah it's what it's one of those things you know there's, there is always a huge interest and I can imagine you know if I was one of those people in the pub and I was like oh my god there's William and Kate and the kids over there my friends are never going to believe me so I'll take a picture and I'll sort of show it to them but there's a difference in that and then you know of then being it published in the and then it being it being published and then part of the argument as well is that if it's bought it then creates a market and more people try and take the pictures and they end up with sort of more um pursuit and harassment which obviously is um you know historically a lot of it has changed since princess diana's death essentially that the the boundaries are much are much clearer um so last week we spoke a little bit about well we spoke quite a lot about the documentary about prince philip and which i had you had seen and i had not and i have now caught up with it um and it is brilliant um i think it's, it's quite interesting watching it because there's a little bit of 
you know, you always got that slight distraction of trying to work out which bits were recorded before he died and which bits were recorded after he died, but trying not to let that distract you well, from the, you sort know, of the personal recollections. Well, I, yeah, I thought, I thought that was fairly seamless, to be honest, because obviously you could tell that um, certain instances they were talking about him in the present tense and past tense. However, you know, when someone does die, I like to think that they, you can speak about them in the present tense, uh, you know, that if they're, if they're super, super, close, you're super close to you and you, you speak about what they, what they are like or what their memories, what their memories were to you. So I, th mm. I did think it was fairly, fairly seamless. No, I did um, think it was very good. Um, it reminds me again how much um, Prince Philip makes me think of the BFG. There's like a, <laughs> as a sort of, you know, he's so, he's so sort of tall and he's got quite big ears and um, that sort of slightly friendly but slightly forbidding manner maybe. Um, and the thing that I thought probably was really lovely and that I'm sure will have echoed with a lot of people was the number of his children talking, like remembering story time with dad and that dad would always make an effort to come up at the end of the day and read stories and like the magic of having your dad read stories to you. I thought that was a really sort of, um, you know, um, like clearly a special and quite personal memory. And, you know, Prince Charles talking about the poem of Hiawatha being being read to him by Prince Philip. Like mm. It's such a present memory, even, you know, Prince, Prince Charles is in his seventies now. So this is, you know, 60 plus years ago, probably. And it's still something that, has, he's lived with him for all of his life so I thought that was um, that was really lovely and um, comment from Princess Piffler as well uh, which I heartily agree with says, I always appreciate your podcast but if I could add a PS to the discussion about the tribute to Prince Philip one of my favourite speakers was Sir Tim Lawrence who gave great insight from the point of view of a fellow naval officer and close family member in fact all the son daughters-in-law contributed and gave loving and enlightening comments I feel that he likely wanted to help the incoming partners as he would have remembered being a newcomer to the firm back in the day all the grandchildren other than the youngest James Seven had an opportunity to contribute with the very notable and successful Lady Louise which was also really worth mentioning so yeah so I thought it was, that was nice Lady Louise sharing her um, sort of experiences of Duke of Edinburgh and carriage driving where she obviously had, had a really close connection with her with her grandfather I thought it was quite fun seeing Zara and Peter um, Phillips interacting with each other as like a brother and sister and um you know sort of i don't know this sort of closeness and camilla I, I thought spoke really really well and i thought it was interesting that so sort of she and prince charles sort of had the final final words in things and camilla was so sort of empathetic and human about a lot of stuff, I felt. Yeah, and how she sort of praised him by saying, you know, she's absolutely observed how he's gone about his business and it wasn't sort of putting the attention on himself and using it to, for, for personal glories. It was going about your business, doing the job in the right way and making sure it was done correctly. And that she said that she'd taken a lot from that because if you, you, know, if you remember that nobody really wanted Camilla on the scene and she had a pretty hard time of it sort of in quotiating herself within the um 
within the fold and uh, and she's gone on to be one of the darlings of of the firm and uh, both inside and outside i think and she's very highly respected by for the work she does and the way that she carries herself and um and it's very interesting that she's taken that um that level of support and uh, an awareness of her of her role from from the duke of edinburgh and uh, and no doubt i think that um you know, there, there, there was a, an, awful, an awful lot of love and respect there and it was, and you really saw, saw that shine through. And I think um, Princess Piffler's point about Sir Tim Lawrence, I think it's really interesting and sort of the way that Tim Lawrence as a military man and also Prince Harry talking about his experience of going to Afghanistan and um, the conversation that he had with Prince Philip um, sort of before going and when he came back and the sort of the low key, but, you know, we've kind of been through this situation or I don't know that sort of connection that you only have if you've been in in that sort of battle experience I thought that was interesting with Harry and then Tim Lawrence you know that he was sort of the keeper of the the journals and these sort of fascinating journals from when um when Prince Philip was serving on ships and all of his record keeping in general. I mean, the, the Prince Philip archive of materials, I'm sure it's like the archivist lady and how emotional she was talking yeah. about her, her boss and and then discovering that he'd he flown Concord at some stage, which well, was tremendous. And, it, and again, like um, not only she, I think she'd been there since like 80, 1988, right? She started being, mm. she said she was the fifth secretary and now- Fifth girl. Of, Fifth yeah. girl, yeah, I know it's sort of so archaic, isn't it? But then she was, she'd been um, sort of risen up the ranks to be his uh, his archivist, and and so um, embedded in the job that when she she was very emotional actually when she said they asked her if she missed him and she said she missed him, misses him terribly. Yeah. I thought that was quite quite emotive. One of the bits I really liked actually was Prince Harry looking through the flight logs. I think I might have mentioned this last time, but looking through the flight logs of when he used to fly the planes when they were oh, yeah. on tours, and he was and he did this impression. It was almost as good as your Queen impression, Anne. But <laughs> you can imagine um, the Queen at the back saying, "What are you doing, Philip?" and um, him at the front of the plane. But it was so he could keep his flying hours up, and in turn, that was because he wanted to become a pilot he was obviously a naval man through and through but he wanted to become a pilot and did become a very successful pilot because of his role within the RAF and that shows you that he wanted to look the 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 airmen and women in the eye and say you know I, I'm doing the job as well and and William said that about his respect for the armed forces and how that filtered down throughout the generations um I mean a truly fascinating documentary and sort of window in, into their world well, not only with the the sort of films and the the personal videos, but the 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 personal anecdotes as well. Yeah, so I think uh, there is talk of it coming to other other international broadcasters imminently, hopefully. Um, so I mean, do look out for it. I I really enjoyed it. It was absolutely fascinating and and very human. Like it was an insight into both Prince Philip and the members of his family as well. And in fact, there is you know overflowing with royal documentaries on the BBC. Although this is a slightly less royal and much more environmental but starting on Sunday there is a series five episodes of the Earthshot Prize excuse me five episodes of the Earthshot Prize repairing our planet and it is double royalty because you have not just Prince William in it but you have Sir David Attenborough who is you know king of the nature documentary so we'll be looking forward to seeing those and hearing more about the um the fascinating projects that have been shortlisted for the prize and what's going to happen next 
So that's what's been happening over here. But it's been busy in America as well, Russell. Meghan and Harry, I mean, they've, in the same way that over this side, you know, Kate's been out, bang, bang, different events and the Royals are definitely back out. Meghan and Harry are back on the road. Big sort of visit to New York. I mean, let's let's call it what it was. It was a New York tour. And... Um, well, like a royal they, tour. That's they meant, they meant business. Say. They meant business. So what did, what did they get up to on their trip? Well, like, I want to repeat myself. It was like a royal tour. I mean, there was a full itinerary. There was, the, you know, the security aspect of it. There was meeting... Uh, the great and good for the from the political and activism world, uh, big um, sort of them talking on the world stage, almost meeting with the governor, governor and the mayor of New York, um, and then meeting the de- deputy uh, secretary general of the UN. So it was it was very full on. Um, uh, I like the fact that Harry was caught with this microphone uh, cable hanging out of his uh hanging out of his slacks and and many wondering about megan's choice of outfits throughout the sort of balmy new york um end of the summer autumn weather because no doubt they are well, we don't know for certain but one can assume they are filming some sort of series for their netflix deal and uh, and that's the reason for um for the recording so um yeah, I mean, what do you reckon? I, I, I've, I've spoken, I've spoken to some because I, I was really interested in sort of what traction this got in the states. And the only thing I've seen, uh, which was banding around Twitter, was the New York Post taking the, you know, taking a swipe at them for sort of rolling up into town in a load of gas guzzling vehicles, big old security detail, and um, and I don't think it did get a lot of traction in the United States. I'm not too sure. Obviously, there is an there is an audience for them, and we are covering it. I don't know necessarily whether they are as adored in the United States as we um, we were first thinking, um, but certainly they do have potentially a lot more supporters in um, in the states than here. But it's a fairly valiant um, aspect of what they're talking about. They're talking about vaccine equality, climate change. You know, these are these are real issues of our time that we should be talking about. Um, I liked Harry standing up on the stage at the Global Citizen event and what did he say? Good morning, New York City. <laughs> it was quite, <laughs> quite entertaining. But he seems to be having fun, so you know. I hope I hope your best man speech goes better than that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll introduce it like that. Yeah. <laughs> um but going back to what you're saying about the choice of uh, choice of outfits, are you saying that they they were dressed quite warmly for end of summer in New well, York? But if they're think... from California, though, then it's probably you true. know true, true, true. I would imagine that there is a difference in temperature, but we can also. I mean, I thought some of the outfits were were really interesting. They they definitely made a statement of we're here and we mean business. But rather than you and me talking about the outfits, let's hear from a, a lady who who knows fashion and uh, delighted to welcome back on Sarah Sarah Bradbury to tell us a little bit more about Megan's wardrobe on her New York trip. I mean, if there's one way I can describe Megan's New York wardrobe, it would be New York elegance extravaganza. She just looks so well put together, so stunning in everything that she wore and it's almost like the complete capsule wardrobe you'd kind of want to pack when 
attending so many different meetings in like a certain amount of time and over a short space of time, in fact, because you just want that pure capsule wardrobe. It's going to see you through the entire trip. And Megan has definitely, definitely nailed it. You know, starting with that gorgeous Maximara camel coat. You know, she popped the collar, which I think earns um, extra style points for Megan. She then teams that very simplistically with a black turtleneck sweater from the row, Roland Moray skirt, which he is obviously well known for his impeccable tailoring and Megan knowing Megan and her body shape is phenomenal. This skirt kind of really hugs her, although you might not be able to see it, but she just, it's just absolutely stunning on her. She looks great. Um, obviously, no look is complete without a pair of Giorgio Armani court shoes pair of Valentino sunglasses and of course if you're going to do the ultimate businesswoman chic you wouldn't be without a Smithson laptop case and I just love this you know I think it's a perfect outfit you would want to wear when visiting the US ambassador to the UN Linda Thomas-Greenfield I'm sure she also gave Megan some serious style thumbs up. When Megan Harry went to visit the One World Observatory you know Megan looked a bit different here very more laid back you know the outfit's very sombre, um, obviously to match the emotions surrounding, obviously being so close to 9-11 as well. Um, I just love the fact she's obviously gone to Giorgio Armani again, picked out this gorgeous navy wool coat, obviously going to keep her warm. Then obviously carried on carried on wearing the um, black, the row, turtleneck sweater. So again, really kind of making sure that the outfits that she packed worked with every look she was hoping to achieve and I think she just looks incredible. These wide leg trousers do look a little long on Megan as they're dragging the floor but we can still see those Akizira um, court shoes peeping through which I absolutely adore. Uh, again her hair and makeup very somber, very pulled back but obviously no Megan look is complete without a low bun and a smoky eye and nude lip. She just looks stunning. Um, obviously then they went to visit the Harlem Mahalia Jackson Community School and wow head to toe Laura Piano and she just obviously wants to look a bit more funky a bit more fresh so she's gone for a brighter colour I guess to match her mood and to also bring a bit of you know fun around the children as well not such a somber mood for her to that day so yeah just looking absolutely stunning head to toe red I especially love her reversible cashmere coat I mean if god forbid Megan had a coffee spill going from appointment to appointment she could quickly turn the coat around and no one would ever know so quite a genius style hack from the duchess I would have to admit and of course no look is complete without a pair of stunning Manolos I'm sure every girl dreams of having a pair in her wardrobe um one thing we did notice is throughout the tour Megan kept her jewelry exactly the same um so she had Princess Diana's Cartier watch on, her love bracelet, which we assume is a present from Harry, a Lorraine, a Lorraine Schwartz emerald cut diamond ring on her pinky, um, the Burke's iconic stackable diamond snowflake ring under her um, engagement ring. She also had the Jennifer Mayer personalised nameplate bracelet and a Jennifer Mayer tennis bracelet too. So she kind of stacked up a lot of gold jewellery, which I just absolutely adore. I think she really owns wearing gold. Whereas I think we see a lot more of a mixture of metals from Kate. So, yeah, Megan definitely knows. This, um, when she went to the school, obviously she had her hair down. That kind of free-flowing Californian style we've actually got to know and love at Megan. Um, constantly rocks and a style I think most women would love to achieve from their very own hairstylist or their own blow dryer. 
And of course, the last look for the big event, the Global Citizen Live Festival. Megan, I think out of all of her looks, this is probably my favourite, really commanded attention. You know, she wore that stunning Valentino dress with the floral beading and the embellishments and just looked absolutely impeccable and really well put together. Um, she teamed that with a Dior coat and the Dior Lady D light bag, which I absolutely love. Um, we think she's wearing a pair of uh, Giovanto, if I don't know if I pronounce that right, um, Rossi satin pumps. So really, really good. And her legs look stunning. Absolutely great. She looks beautiful, as does Harry, of course. But yeah, I think out of all the looks, the Global Citizen Live look is probably one of my favourites. And obviously no look would be complete without a pair of Cartier diamond stud earrings, which she also wore throughout the tour. So that's the fashionista's verdict on um, on what Megan was wearing. It was interesting. Like she had she had the uh, sort of reddish velvet number even before Daniel Craig did as well. I think I wasn't I wasn't a fan of that particular outfit. But anyway, um, you mentioned security briefly. There was one question that came in from a listener, Philip's ACB, says on next week's episode, can you give some more info about Meghan and Harry's security situation in New York if you are able? I'm seeing some rumblings that the De- Department of Homeland Security is somehow involved, and as a US taxpayer, I felt that is absolutely beyond the pale. Of course, people can promote whatever causes they choose and live freely, but you cannot masquerade as diplomats or representatives on the federal dime. So, first question is. Do we know if there was any taxpayer-related security? And um, what what do we no. know about this? I mean, I, I, I must confess, I don't know. And um, it, perhaps it's one for our investigative uh, journalist cousins across the pond. But um, I hadn't I hadn't read or I hadn't heard anything of this. The only thing that I did read, which I thought was very interesting, that Meghan and Harry were using. Um, uh, or so, so hiring the same bodyguard as Taylor Swift has used. And there's a guy who has been uh, photographed. He's a former NYPD officer known as Jimmy, who looks after Taylor Swift. So we are certainly in the higher echelons of the A-list, a- a- aren't we? And um, it's not known whether he, you know, whether Taylor lent the guards um, and Jimmy to uh, to Meghan and Harry themselves, or herself rather, or they hired him from a company. But certainly he and his... Um, security officers were seen at the uh, the Upper East Side Hotel where the Harry and Meghan were staying during their trip and uh, coordinating this big fleet of cars that was rolling through the city to take them to all these different engagements. So yeah, it would be, um, American listeners, it'd be interesting to hear from you. When, in fact, people worldwide, how much cut through Meghan and Harry's trip had in, I guess, the sort of non, the non-royal press because obviously you know that all us royal watcher people are going to be continuing to see what they're doing and and following them but i had a brief look on the new york times website and the washington post website and you can't always tell because not you know not everything always ends up going up there but all i could find was like one associated press report on the washington Washington post Post didn't even cover it i understand yeah it was a a wire report of them arriving at the un so no so uh, again Neither of the, well, they made a speech at this global citizen event. I mean, it was a potentially quite uncruelly dubbed woke fest, which I thought was um, a bit of a woke tough. stock. Alternatively, that was the other woke one. Woke stock. That was it. Sorry. And um, I mean, listen, I think it's it's um, it's a it's a good thing that we need to be talking about. However, I tell you what, I did see somebody had sent me, which was a um, 
a, a piece in the Spectator, which was saying that they are wrong about these COVID vaccine um, patents and saying that, you know, there really is the idea that there's a few rich countries that are going out, hoovering up all the vaccines and, um, and people aren't being able to get vaccines, you know, hoarding them while the rest of the world doesn't get them. It doesn't really reflect reality. And I think that, um, you, you, you know, we might have um, a lot to say. The pharmaceutical companies might think it's a bit rich that uh, they're being asked to to, to 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 help out, whilst governments are actually helping, and there are, there is a scheme to be happening. So it seems like a good point to be arguing. However, whether there is a slight bit of misinformation there, well, there is, I'm not sure. I think yeah, there's something that's been debated in the UK as well because we went quite early with. Uh, a lot of contracts and got a lot of vaccines in and then the question is you know is it responsible for the uk to be offering boosters and sort of third vaccinations to people here who are already vaccinated and have a good level of protection when there's so many people in the world who haven't yet had their had their first so there is that sort of debate and well, just, supply just, question yeah well just in this point i think there was two points in this article that saying you know astrazeneca has made its vaccine available at cost price it's also licensed production to uh, an institute in India so low and middle income countries can access that vaccine at a lower cost. There's also, um, it does argue, obviously, other manufacturers have been less forthcoming, but uh, wealthy countries have donated 300 million doses of COVID vaccines to 140 countries, which total 1.3 billion due to be delivered at the end of the year. And obviously, the process is not um, crystal clear in, in terms of what's happening, but I, I think that to, to pitch to pitch the the, <clears throat> the countries against each other um, perhaps isn't the whole picture. Obviously, more needs to be done, but um, I, I think that uh, you know it's it's not it's not altogether a clear cut picture. I know, but keeping keeping talking about it is a good thing. Although um, when you you know the, the old old chestnut of flying around on private planes did rear its head again this well, time as to, well i'm sorry but it's going to and um yeah can can prince charles and prince william ever you know that they should be rightly criticized if they're getting and, and charles was i think he got a helicopter for like a 140 mile journey a couple of years ago and he was criticized for that while standing on a platform of sustainable markets initiative talking about um you know he, how he's a, a big environmentalist and i think that potentially privately people would have admitted that is wrong it potentially it's a security aspect listen the, the future kings are not going to be able to, to to travel on the train or by car all of the time um so there is obviously the different aspects to it um it'll be interesting yeah. to see how that it does evolve for the royal family over here as they emerge back out and, and do more do more things again because you know there is more i think there's more focus on it and they've upped their environmental game over the last well, 18 much. months or so 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 it's harder to you know ride those two horses but anyway we shall we shall see interesting to see how that evolves but it was it was nice to see megan and harry back out and clearly you know they are while it was a royal tour by it being quite important visits and some of it was you know sort of um going to emotional places and but there was also a lot of meeting with sort of political figures it was a much more businessy political tour than um than they would have had as members of the royal family i am sure um right the other thing that continues to 
rumble on over the other side of the Atlantic. The Prince Andrew case. Russell, what has been happening this week? Well, it's there's been a lot of activity. Um, and over the last couple of weeks, I think that uh, he'd been served uh nearly, nearly two weeks ago i think it was on the on the 17th of uh of september we are in friday so essentially what happened was his his lawyers were arguing that this case should be thrown out that there was no basis for it and that uh, virginia gaffray who has bought this civil action against him alleging um several instances of sexual assault um seeking substantial damages from the duke of york of which he is categorically and vehemently always denied he's always said that he doesn't has no recollection of meeting virginia gaffray so uh, his lawyers were saying that this had no basis, it should be thrown out, that there was a, a deal that she had essentially signed with the Florida court to do with Jeffrey Epstein, which meant that she couldn't bring this case. But the judge, Lewis Kaplan in, um, in New York, pretty much gave that short shrift. And so um, he basically said to the two sides, bang your heads together, get this done. Uh, Andrew had been sort of hiding out in Windsor Castle, uh, his, his, uh, his Royal Lodge place in the shadow of Windsor Castle and then up to Balmoral and the judge didn't really appreciate that. So he ruled that his legal representatives, Andrew's legal representatives, a guy called Andrew Brettler could receive these legal documents on his behalf. Now that had happened, a process was set in place that there was normally 21 days um, in order to respond to these um, this civil claim. That has since been extended to the 29th of October, um, agreed by both sides, so we get their ducks in a row. And it has emerged today that uh, this legal defence essentially will be will be will begin on November the third because there is a conference call with both parties that will set out the motion and essential arguments, I suppose, on what will happen, and that will be two sides sitting down and either saying this gets thrown out, or we set into a chain a motion of um, of dates and schedule for um, for any potential trial to take place now further compounding this this sort of action which is happening in the background i revealed during the week that there is a woman whose whose name people may remember uh, a woman called shukri walker who claims that she was in tramp nightclub in london on the 10th of march 2001 um the night where Virginia Gaffray alleges she was sexually assaulted by Prince Andrew at Galen Maxwell's Belgravia mansion. And this woman, Shukri Walker, said she was dancing and she stumbled back and she stood on Prince Andrew's um, toe and she was sort of forced to apologise and he was flustered and he said no problem. So that's her, her, her claim. And she's since um, given written evidence via her lawyers in the United States, which the FBI has. Now she has said, or let it be known, that she is willing to testify at any potential civil court hearing, which if she does, um, could really throw a cat amongst the pigeons with Andrew's case. And again, um, I mean, the people I'm speaking to close to Andrew have said, you know, they don't uh, believe her evidence to to hold any weight. And you know, what they were saying is that she is in a minority of one with her recollections. And so she will be proved to uh, to be quite wrong in uh, in what she's saying. But if, she, if it does get to court and she is called as a witness, then uh, her lawyers are saying she will do her duty and she will be heard. So 
a lot going to happen in the next few weeks. I think we've got now sort of one, two, three, four and a half weeks until we have this deadline where he has to respond, or certainly his legal representative has to respond to this initial um, uh, lodging of this uh, of this civil claim. And then a few days later, we're going to hit, potentially hear the results of what this conference call is all about with the two sides setting out what will happen in the future. So. We're not, we're not really down the line yet. I mean, I think what we would have been saying, some legal experts are saying this could go on between two and five years. So we are um, tentative steps at the moment, but certainly the wheels are in motion. So one to watch there. And I know you will keep listeners up to date with what is happening um, as things evolve. So engagements. I think as we have been talking, there has been things happening. And Kate, I mean, what colour are you going to go for for this suit, Russell? Um, fuchsia. Fuchsia. I might go magenta. I think I've got a coat. This oh, magenta. Very magenta. similar colour. Magenta. It's very. Um, it's lovely. It's nice and bright on a on an autumnal day. I think it's. I think it's a bit darker. Oh well, it's 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 very nice. I like it. I'm a fan. Um, what are they up to? Well, wearing clothes. So they're wearing <laughs> clothes. Yeah. Um, so William and Kate are in Northern Ireland today and they are visiting the area of Derry, London Derry, which they it's the first time they've ever been there. They are meeting um, some medical, some uh, science students, talking to uh, students from the University of Ulster. I'm told they're going to potentially be trying some whiskey and which I don't think they're going to do that. They normally sort of pass that along the side if, it's, if it involves alcohol, unless it was a nighttime event and they had a bit of Guinness when I was at an event in Belfast once. But they were going to be tasting Tato's crisps, which are sort of a, I'm about to say local delicacy, but I don't think you could, they're hardly oysters, but they are um, crisps. Favourite. From Ireland. So yes, they are a favourite of the, of the local population and elsewhere as well. And so... Um, it's again, it's another sort of mini world tour, though we didn't get invited with all the bells and whistles. There was, um, we do have representation there. So we will be seeing quite a lot of uh, what is going on. So it's it's literally happening now. So I can't tell you exactly what they're- Have you been there, Russell? In the past? I've been there. It's I've a fascinating- It's a fascinating city. And it is um, in terms of, you know, people who are interested in the troubles and Ireland, Northern Ireland's past and how things how things are now. It's it's really fascinating. I mean, it's somewhere where the the, um, the level of armory on the police cars remains quite high. Yeah. Um, it's still. I mean, when we stayed there, so shamefully, I don't have as good a grasp of um, history as I should have. So as we were driving in, and the murals were, you know, getting really. Um, sort of spectacular my husband's like are we driving towards the bog side which is like a sort of really famous um famous part of the city and where where bloody sunday basically happened anyway so we ended up turning into our airbnb where we were staying and it was it was on the street where the priest famously waved the white hanky from um so anybody who um who knows their history or if you don't look it up but so that's the kind of the past side of things we did it was a fascinating um tour of the city and it's it's a very beautiful place but got so much sort of living history in it but also for those of you who like a bit of um of uh, sort of sitcom action 
Derry Girls. If you haven't come across it, check it out. It is hilarious. It's sort of set in the it's set in the eighties, I think. Some teenagers. If you know the in-betweeners, it's like that with girls in um, in Derry, London Derry. Um, so it's a bit of the troubles and a bit of teenage land, and it is brilliant. So check that out. That's my random suggestion for today. So I mean, hopefully. I would imagine that Kate and William would quite enjoy that as well because the 80s is their era as well. But anyway, maybe they'll save that for another time, meet up with the Derry girls. Um, what else What else has been going on in royal engagement land, Russell? Or, or do, is there anything that we have to look forward to that you can tell us about? There isn't. There isn't, actually. I mean... Um... I mean we know the big engagement this week. It's your brother's wedding. I know. And your best match beat. So what, who are the, who are the lucky couple? That we well, wish them a happy it's, day. It's my, it's my, bro- it's my brother Charlie and uh, and his wife to be Hannah, and so um, we're very much looking forward to it. It's going to be a lovely event in the Cotswolds, in uh, in uh, England, which is a very very smart place, um, you know. Until we roll in, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope you have a lovely time and that the weather stays good as well. And um, yeah, there will be some more royalness to catch up on next week, I'm sure, even if we don't quite know what it is yet. Um, I won't be here next week. Um, I'm handing over to Zoe Forsey for a few weeks to look after the shop and keep keep Russell in order. Check out that he knows his colours correctly when the, when the royals are coming out and uh, out and about. But you can always contact all of us at Podsave on Twitter. Twitter and Instagram and do follow and subscribe and leave us the stars um, so that we can uh, enjoy sharing this with you every week. Um, Russell, it's been lovely to catch up with you. So lovely, as always. As always. And best of luck with your speech on Friday. We shall look forward to hearing how it goes. But um, I'm sure you'll you'll be tremendous. uh... Uh, Well, let's hope. And I will miss you for the few weeks that you were off. But uh, we will obviously be keeping in touch. Yes, indeed. Um, Listeners, wherever you are, we hope you've enjoyed the show. Stay safe. Stay well. And until next time. Pod save the Queen!